Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into Scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. to begin the most exciting time of the year on the Hebrew calendar, the fall feasts. The first one, Rosh Hashanah, begins at sundown this Friday, September 18th. This holiday is filled with celebration, family, and of course, food. Sweet challah bread, pomegranate seeds, apples with honey. These are just a few of them. To help us understand the biblical meaning of this holiday and how it points to our Messiah, we have invited our National Ministry Representative, Dr. Alan Shore, as our special guest on today's episode. Dr. Alan Shore, welcome. Thank you so much for being part of our Hope. It's my pleasure to be here. Is it okay to call you Alan for the rest of this podcast? Certainly. Okay, absolutely. awesome. <laughs> you and I are friends, but you know, I just want to make sure. <laughs> so, Alan, I know you grew up in New York, and I always ask... Uh, our newest guests, what their favorite food is. So what is your favorite New York dish? <laughs> well, whenever whenever <laughs> my wife and I come to New York, um, make sure to have the four food groups, pizza, pastrami, cheesecake, and Chinese. And we <laughs> often take the red-eye flight in from Seattle, Washington. And when soon as we drop off our luggage, we go out and have what we call the breakfast of champions at the 2nd Avenue Deli, which is a pastrami sandwich, potato knish, matzo ball soup, and uh, Dr. Brown soda. <laughs> so that fixes us up for the rest of the day. That is awesome. There is quite nothing like New York Jewish food. <laughs> it is so special here. That's true. When I lead, when I lead the the tours of the Lower East Side, I always wind wind people up at Katz's Deli and uh, Economy Candy. That seems to make them happy. <laughs> that is great. So, Alan, we featured your "I Found Shalom" testimony on our Holocaust episode back in season one. But for maybe those who did not hear it, could you briefly share how you became a believer? Well. Many young Jewish people in the 1970s were traveling, spiritually seeking, and I was one of them. 
And I wound up in Paris, France in the summer of 1974 on the last leg of a four-week tour of the cities of Europe and woke up one of the last mornings of my journey to find that I had been robbed. I was in a youth hostel and someone had been very busy stealing while I was fast asleep and took everything that I had all my money, my passport, my URL pass, wow. all of my identification. And there I was. And for some reason, I had the strangest idea after I got over the initial shock that I was going to not reach out for help. Mm. And I uttered was probably the first real prayer of my, of my life sitting on that cot in that youth hostel saying, well, Dear God, I am a, a child in the universe, and I'm not going to do a thing to help myself. And if you are out there, the ball is in your court. Wow. And the very same day, I was befriended by a vibrant, committed young believer who was also traveling, a lovely young woman who, in the course of what was, uh, I must say, a very properly conducted friendship, where we would meet and part and meet and part, over the next several days, she began to unfold the gospel to me in a seeker-sensitive way for a Jewish person. And I was absolutely amazed. I was intrigued. I had thought that Christianity had sprung out of a vacuum somewhere, and here she was connecting me with the scriptures of my people in telling the story of Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. Well, not to draw this out too much longer, I had did get back to New York and had a year of agonized seeking, really understanding that, that God was placing a claim upon me through the mm -hmm. gospel which utterly terrified me would I have to stop being Jewish and all of that sort of thing. But when I finally, the following summer in Boulder, Colorado, waved the white flag and surrendered, I found what many Jewish believers will tell you is that believing in the gospel added an essential dimension to my Jewish identity that is simply unavailable elsewhere. And that's Sort of the song that I've been singing for um, for the last forty five years. I love that. I love that. That that is so well worded and man, that that's powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And for those who want to see the full testimony, uh, you can watch it on ifoundshalom dot com. Just search up Alan Shore, um, and I'm sure his video will pop right up. Uh, but thank you for sharing that. And and then how how did this uh, experience then lead you? to working and being involved with Chosen People Ministries? Well, from really the very beginning of my faith decision, I knew that I had a vocation in ministry. I wouldn't have called it that at the time, but I wanted to become involved in gospel work. And I wound up uh, as a pastor in a small community in Washington State, where I live now. And in, during that time, I was taking a Master of Divinity degree at Fuller Seminary, had to do intensives down in Pasadena, and in one of the last of those intensives, I noticed that the School of World Missions was offering electives uh, in Jewish studies, 
and I decided to sign up for one or two, and Mitch Glazer was one of the teachers. Now, we have a saying at Chosen People Ministries that um, God loves you, and Mitch has a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> and as it turned out, this was true in my case. It took a while to get underway, but Mitch and I continued to correspond through um, the 1980s, and beyond that, and during that time, I was developing a one-man drama on the life of the Apostle Paul that I began presenting in 1993, and over the next few years, just by dint of my own stubbornness and the contacts that I was able to make, I could, you know, book maybe 10 or 15 meetings a year. This was not enough to, to make a living from, so mm -hmm. to speak, but too much to give up on. Well, the long and short of it is that Mitch was in the Pacific Northwest. We had lunch together. We looked across at one another after the lunch was in it, finished and said, chosen people ministries, a chosen vessel, sounds like a good mix. So mm -hmm. I was brought on as a halftime national ministries representative, and suddenly I was doing 70 or 80 meetings a year on behalf of the mission, and about half of them were chose, a chosen vessel presentations. I lost track at 600 <laughs> about five years ago, wow. and it has been an absolutely marvelous, marvelous collaboration. Chosen awesome. People Ministries opened doors for me, the doorknobs of which I couldn't have found on my own, and I've had just a marvelous time um, working with colleagues such as yourselves and also with Mitch and, and many others. Awesome. Thank you for that. That it's you're, you're such a talented person and we're so honored to have you um, as part of Chosen People Ministries serving in the way that you do. Well, it's gracious of you to say. Thank you. So let's move to Rosh Hashanah. Uh, we're going to answer some of the, the, the questions surrounding Rosh Hashanah. And the first one that I have here is, so we've realized that if you look for Rosh Hashanah in the Bible, you are not going to find it. So can you tell us about the name of this feast and what it means? Well, you're right about that. Um, Rosh Hashanah does not appear in the scripture. Um, Rosh Hashanah literally means head of the year. And yeah, if you look at Leviticus 23, the holiday is referred to as Zichron Teruah, a memorial of blowing of the horns. Numbers 29, it's Yom Teruah, day of the blowing of the horns. So scriptural references are actually pretty scant. You right. have to look at other Jewish writings, the Talmud and Jewish tradition to fill out the meaning of the feast within Judaism, which of course forms the framework of understanding for believers in Yeshua the Messiah. Uh, it's also called Yom Hadin, Day of Judgment, uh, for reasons we'll get into shortly, I should think. But it's most des common designation, Rosh Hashanah, comes from the name of the tractate, the section of the Talmud that is that is devoted to it. Mm. Awesome. Thank you for that. So how do Jewish people traditionally uh, celebrate this holiday? Well, like so many other Jewish observances, uh, Rosh Hashanah is it's a kaleidoscope of tastes and fragrances and colors and textures and sounds and, of course, ceremonies. It is a two-day feast, the first and second day of the month of Tishrei, the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, um, beginning, as you mentioned, this year, the evening of September the 18th, and concluding the nightfall of September 20th. Mm -hmm. 
And I say this year because while the dates of the Jewish calendar do not change, the holidays appear to jump around for us because the Jewish calendar runs on the lunar cycle, not the solar year, mm. as our society does. Right. So Rosh Hashanah is the day when it is said that God writes the destiny of each person for the coming year in the books of life. Mm. This is why the traditional Rosh Hashanah greeting is, L'shana tova tikatevu. May you be inscribed for a good year. And this is no laughing matter. Because on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, Jews are being summoned to examine themselves in light of the solemn liturgy, which reads in part, who will be born and who will die? Who will be serene and who will be disturbed? Who will be poor and who will be rich? Who will be humbled and who will be exalted? But penitence, prayer, and charity avert the severe decree. So Rosh Hashanah ushers in a 10-day period called the Days of Awe that culminates in the observance of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. These constitute the High Holy Days. And during this time, observant Jews are closely examining themselves and their past behavior and looking for what I call special credit projects to get on the right side of the Book of Life. But of course, it isn't all solemnity. What's a Jewish holiday without special foods? But you mentioned some of them earlier. The apples are dipped in honey, eaten in the hope of that sweet new year, and the pomegranate seeds represent the multitude of good deeds that we hope to accomplish. Uh, there is a sweet carrot-based dish uh, called simis, and mm. in Yiddish, the word is merin, which also means increase. And there is another traditional activity associated with Rosh Hashanah uh, that is meaningful called tashlich, which means to cast away, which originated, I believe, around the 13th century. On the afternoon of the first day, community members will sometimes put breadcrumbs in their pockets and take a stroll to a body of water and cast the crumbs into it and watch those crumbs flow away to symbolize the hope that God will likewise carry our sins far from us. Right. And, uh, a special prayer is said, which stresses the verse, Micah 5.19, He will take us back in love. He will cover up our iniquities. You will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. And, of course, the most important element of Rosh Hashanah is the sounding and hearing of the blast of the shofar, the ram's horn. I have a few questions, because that was, that was deep. It sounds like there's a lot of pressure on the Jewish people. It sounds like there's a lot of pressure to to be right and to be prepared. Um, can you can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, how how do Jewish people feel during Rosh Hashanah leading into Yom Kippur? Well, you know, it can be a time of anxiety. It can be a time of angst for Jewish people mm. uh, who are examining their consciences and finding out that uh, that they're not all that they could be. Now, I find it interesting that the the Rosh Hashanah lit liturgy says that, you know, 
what, what was it? Penitence, prayer, and charity avert the severe decree. Mm. Now, this is very important because penitence, you know, repentance and prayer and works of works of mercy are said to be the three pillars upon which Judaism stands in a post-temple reality where sacrifice is no longer um, taking place. Mm. Where do we go to sacrifice? Well, right. the rabbis decided, well, that these that these three things would take the place of sacrifice. But part of the difficulty with that is, is when do you know that you've prayed enough? When do you know you've repented enough? When do you know that you've done enough? And even to this day, there is an obscure ceremony within Judaism that takes place on Yom Kippur where the blood of a chicken is shed mm. and the chicken is swung over the head. It's called kaporis in mm. Yiddish, is covering. And a prayer is said to say that my sins will be placed upon this sacrifice. So even today, deeply lodged in Jewish consciousness is the lingering truth, the echo of the echo of the truth that, as it says in Hebrews, uh, without sh the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Mm. So this is a terrible conundrum um, that exists within Judaism today, because the temple was destroyed. Now, as believers, we understand that this sacrifice is no longer necessary, because Messiah himself has become our sacrifice, not year right. after year after year, but once and for all. Let's let's talk a little bit about that. So what does Rosh Hashanah reveal about the Messiah? Okay, well, you know, Rosh Hashanah, there are wonderful parallels between what Rosh Hashanah articulates within Jewish consciousness and what we understand. It might not be immediately obvious, but the first thing is that is that God takes sin quite seriously. Right. And as I mentioned, even to this day, in my view, uh, a truly Jewish consciousness understands that. And as I mentioned just a moment ago, the second thing is that we know that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Mm -hmm. You know, I've often asked myself, why didn't God just snap his fingers? Voila, you're forgiven. No need for a lamb or a cross or any of that. And it must be, I've come to, in a way that I sense, but, but I do not fully grasp that this awful wound that our sin has inflicted upon creation itself, <clears throat> excuse me, can be healed in no other way. And after all, this is one of the most important themes that is woven into the Hebrew Scriptures. And it doesn't require much of a stretch of imagination, for example, to understand that the binding of Isaac is a prefigure of Messiah's sacrifice, except that in the case of Yeshua, the sacrifice is carried out. Right. And that in offering up the life of his only son, God the Father did not spare himself the anguish that he spared Abraham. Mm. 
Today we are exploring how we can find Yeshua in Rosh Hashanah. But did you know that all of Israel's Holy Days point to the Messiah? Learn more when you order Israel's Holy Days in Type and Prophecy by Daniel Fuchs. In this book, you will discover the historical and modern celebrations of the Holy Days found in Leviticus 23, as well as their prophetic fulfillment. Order your copy today at ourhopepodcast.com forward slash Holy Days. Now back to Abe and Alan. So it's interesting that you mention, you know, this shofar blast. What does the shofar actually mean? Well, the sounding of the shofar has uh, several symbolic meanings. First of all, it's it's meant to commemorate the cre- the creation itself, and also said to be the birthday of uh, Adam and Eve. It is acknowledgement of the sovereign power of God, our King, over all creation. And it is also a wake-up call for Israel to turn from her sins. And finally, the shofar blast reminds us of the coming of Messiah and the dawn of the Messianic age. There is well, there's also one other meaning that is of critical importance to believers, I think. And it is in connection with Genesis chapter 22, the chapter read traditionally on the second day of the holiday, specifically verses 1 through 18, which refer to the Akedah, that is, the binding of Isaac. Mm. And this is the well-known story where Abraham's faith is tested as he is commanded by God to sacrifice Isaac, the promised son, And only at the last moment does the angel of the Lord stay his hand. Right. And the shofar, the ram's horn, is said to be a reminder of the ram that was offered as sacrifice in lieu of Isaac. This holiday, it's the first of the fall feasts. How does it set the stage for the feasts which come afterward? They are connected. Yom Kippur comes 10 days after Rosh Hashanah. So we have these 10 days of awe, the days in which we're looking, as I said, for special special credit projects. Um, you know, I, I don't know if, if um, Charles Dickens knew very much about the High Holy Days, but I, whenever I watch The Christmas Carol, I, I always am reminded that there's a, a parallel there. There is this poor Scrooge that is given a, uh, a reprieve, a time for amendment of life, if you will, and uh, before his doom is sealed. And uh, in the same way, we have 10 days of, of soul-searching and reconciliation, self-examination that leads to the Day of Atonement, which is the solemn day of fasting and prayer at which time the, the shofar blast is sounded at the conclusion of the service, and the books of life are sealed yet for another year. Mm-hmm. But again, if we look into the priestly ministry of Jesus, the high priesthood of Messiah, as it is so well described in the book of Hebrews, we can very readily see that, for example, The high priestly prayer of John 17 is called just that, this longest recorded prayer in the ministry of Jesus, because it parallels the prayer of the high priest of Israel in Leviticus 16, who goes into the Holy of Holies, prays for himself, his family, 
and the children of Israel while bringing the offering. And here we have in John 17, Jesus praying for himself, his family, the immediacy of the disciples sitting around him, mm-hmm. acting his, his family, and praying for um, all believers everywhere and at all times. And not bringing the offering, but himself becoming the offering. I see in all of this a wonderful fulfillment of the high priesthood of Israel. And, you know, I'll tell you, I I actually define Christianity. Maybe you'll like this. Christianity is the extension of the promises, the covenant promises given to Israel, the extension of those promises to all people through the fulfilling ministry of Jesus the Messiah. Love that. That's awesome. So does Rosh Hashanah foreshadow any events to come in the future? Well, the Apostle Paul certainly thought so when he writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. Mm. And if you look through the literature of um, the Chabad Hasidim, who are so very active, that literature will also tell you that the shofar announces the coming of the Messiah. So the shofar is the drum roll, if you will, (laughs) that ushers in uh, the world to come. So how should believers in Yeshua respond to this holiday? Is there any way we can use it to share the gospel? Well, certainly. I I think, first of all, believers can find a great deal of edification in the traditional understanding of Rosh Hashanah and Jewish life. Certainly in awareness of our sins and our need for repentance and reconciliation with God and others. And yes, it does provide the opportunity to share the good news with Jewish seekers because its themes resonate with the gospel to such a great degree. And Jewish people are often, you know, you know, quite, quite honored when non-Jews um, become aware of their holidays and their right. traditions and their liturgy. Mm-hmm. And this is a wonderful time of the year where people non-Jewish people can approach their Jewish friends and say, I understand that the high holy days are coming. Um, is that meaningful? May I ask, is that meaningful to you in any way? Did, or was that a, a presence in your upbringing? And really give Jewish friends and neighbors and relatives a chance to open up about that. And in the course of those conversations, some of these wonderful parallels between the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament can be brought out, I think, in a, a very compelling way. Right. Right. So l- last question for you. What are the lessons that we can learn from Rosh Hashanah personally? Well, I think that we can learn the lesson that God is faithful. Mm. God gives us these observances to call attention to his faithfulness and call attention to the claim that he has placed upon us, the claim that he has placed upon creation, Mm. and the blessed hope that we look toward 
which I think in this time in our cultural history is particularly crucial. Alan, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your insight and your expertise and all that you've offered us in this episode talking about Rosh Hashanah. I, I feel encouraged. Um, I feel a little bit wiser <laughs> just talking to you. I, uh, I, I know I'm going to walk away and, and kind of go through this holiday in a different way than I did in the past. So I appreciate your time. It's my pleasure to be with you. As we prepare to celebrate the Feast of Trumpets, let's always remember who we are celebrating, Yeshua, our Messiah. Rosh Hashanah reminds us that we have the hope of His return and that one day all the pain and hardship of this world will come to an end when we hear that final shofar blast. In the meantime, we celebrate this holiday with joy because knowing Yeshua makes every year sweeter. If you would like to learn more about this important holiday on the Jewish calendar, join us today, September 18th, 4 p.m. or 7 p.m. Eastern Time for a virtual Rosh Hashanah service featuring worship from Messianic musician Joshua Aaron, as well as inspirational messages from Chosen People Ministries staff members Vladimir Pickman and Dr. Mitch Glazer. We will also have virtual services for Yom Kippur and Sukkot. Register for all these for free at chosenpeople.com slash high holidays. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Our Hope. This episode was made possible thanks to Dr. Mitch Glazer, Nicole Vaca, Grace Swee, Kyron Bautista, and Dr. Alan Shore. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out ourhopepodcast.com or chosenpeople.com. See you next time.